WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Five o'clock. Good morning. It is Monday, August 14th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today, high 87. Tonight, overnight, could see some rain, maybe even a thunderstorm. Storm low 74, and then uh, Tuesday, scattered thunderstorms high 86. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 70 and clear out in Islip on Long Island, 68 and clear down in my hometown of Trenton, New Jersey, and it is 70 and clear here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. I picked up the New York Post and uh, on one of the front pages of the New York Post was a picture of the newly single Bill de Blasio spotted out over the weekend with this young brunette. Remember, it was what was it, like a month ago where he and Shirlane announced that they weren't getting divorced. They were going to stay together, but they were going to start dating other people, which not sure how you make that move, but good for them that they did. So there he was, uh, Bill de Blasio, looking slim, trim, sporting a black polo shirt, uh, cream-colored chinos, uh, blue New Balance running sneakers. Uh, his hair now dyed. If you haven't seen him in a while, he doesn't have the gray hair anymore. It's now dyed brown. The 62-year-old was photographed by a New York Post reporter in Soho, accompanied by his former policy analyst, Sarah Bachu. So uh, it looked like they were on a date. Which is fine, because apparently he has a deal now with Shirlane where they both can date whoever they want to. Uh, but a reporter ran up to him afterwards and said, uh, Mayor, what are you doing out with Sarah Bachi? Who, by the way, looked a, a lot younger than him, which I guess is okay. And uh, he said that the two had met to discuss some career choices that she has to make. And uh, that she called and said, I need some career advice. And said that he likes to have conversations with people who worked for him, and that's all there is to it. Which seemed like they were on a date. I don't know why he just didn't say he was on a date. It was clear they were. Uh, the uh, him and of course Shirlane, the 68 year old, separating after nearly 30 years of marriage, two kids, of course, two terms in City Hall. But he says Sarah Batchu, not a girlfriend, just somebody he was giving career advice to. Yeah, we believe that. All right, five oh three. Let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. The death toll continues to rise in Hawaii. More priests, uh, more, uh, more protests. You see, this is Monday morning here, isn't it? I can't even read my own damn headlines. Okay, here we go. More protests over the movement of the migrants across the city. Some, some real worries about coyote attacks in New Jersey. Big weekend for the White House wannabes in Iowa. And doctors warning about some bad TikTok advice. Boy, I hope that's not the way the whole show goes. All right, let's get into it at 5.03. Let's go to Hawaii. Can someone, first of all, close that door? That might be part of the reason. I'm, I'm hearing a whole nother show going on in my headphones as I do my own. The uh, confirmed death toll in Hawaii's wildfires has climbed to 93 now, making them the deadliest in the U.S. in over 100 years. The picture's just awful out of Hawaii. We're still recovering the tragic loss of life and... And the bodies that that were previously our beloved people. 
Governor Josh Green says he fears the number is going to continue to rise. Search recovery efforts continue in the hard-hit uh, town of Lujaina, which was virtually destroyed. Hawaii's attorney general conducting an official review into the state's response to these devastating wildfires that whipped through so fast that people did not have time to escape. We have in my office asked for a comprehensive review with our attorney general because we decided to be on this fully transparently right from the start. We'll know soon whether or not they did enough to get those sirens going. But there was massive destruction of telecommunications. Otherwise, we ourselves would have communicated with each other like we always do within seconds on our cell phones. Yeah, so you see pictures of this. Boy, is it devastating. The director of uh, FEMA in Hawaii says it's like a scene from a bad movie. It's absolutely heartbreaking to just see... An entire community that is no longer there. That's FEMA Director Deanne Criswell says one of the more shocking scenes is all these abandoned cars in this resort town. Look like people just ran for their lives. The row of cars of people that were trying to drive and escape and then couldn't get out fast enough. And these are the ones that ended up running or jumping into the water. And part of this, uh, you know, there's a still huge list of people that are missing. But part of the issue for the search and rescue crews that are going in trying to find people is they're going into structures. They want to make sure their stables, uh, structures are stable before they walk into them. Many of the areas that they're in searching, there's structures that are partially standing. Yeah, so that's a big issue. The morgues in Maui, uh, in Maui running out of space as that death toll climbs. State officials in Hawaii expect the number of dead to continue to increase as search teams continue to comb through the rubble. Morgues on the island have a limited capacity, while the number of those feared missing could be as high as 1,000. It's expected an estimated 4,500 will need emergency shelter. Hawaii's attorney general is now conducting an official review into the state's response to the devastating wildfires. The probe will focus on a lack of warning sirens ahead of the state's deadliest ever natural disaster. Yeah, lots. I'm Scott Carr. Yeah, sorry there, Scott. Lots of talk about those uh, sirens and why they did not go off. Now, it's not clear people would have had much time once those sirens went off warning them about these wildfires. A Hawaii congresswoman one of the many people want to know why those sirens did not go off. Everybody who's ever lived in Hawaii knows the warning sirens because that is our first line of defense. Yeah, they're tested apparently every month or so. It goes off once a month at the beginning of the month at 12 noon and it blares. And if it doesn't, it gets fixed. The warning signals that were on cell phones, we had no cell coverage or electricity in some of these areas. It's sort of all everything happening just at once. A Hawaii senator says the recovery efforts from the wildfire is going to just take years. The entire historic town of Lahaina burned to the ground. That's Senator Maisie Hirono, who was surveying the damage over the weekend. We are in a period of mourning and loss as we search for more people who are still unaccounted for. The Attorney General has launched a review of what happened with those sirens and some of the other actions that were taken. And one emergency volunteer on the ground there, Layla Larson, says she says the reality is far more grim than what's been reported so far. People are lying dead in the streets out here. Uh, Hundreds of people are dead. I don't know what's really on the news, what they're saying. It's devastating. It's horrible. And they had no warning. It happened so fast. The winds were so strong. Yeah, so what we know now, 93 dead, but they think that number might even go up more. Of course, keep it here, 77 WABC, for the latest on that Hawaii wildfire and the aftermath. WABC News Time 509. Let's go down to Washington, D.C. Hunter Biden's lawyer says 
A five-year investigation has shown no evidence that President Biden was involved in any of his son's business deals. It had to be part of what the prosecutor has already looked at, as well as every other false allegation, whether it's corruption or Farah or money laundering. That's Abby Lowell, who took to the news shows over the weekend, emphasizing that the investigation was ordered and conducted by officials appointed by former President Trump. Lowell says the investigation only turned up evidence related to tax filings and gun possession. Two misdemeanors for failing to file like millions of Americans do and a diverted gun charge for the 11 days that Hunter possessed a gun. And Lowell says of GOP leaders have no valid reason to object to the special counsel appointed by the Justice Department. He's a Republican U.S. attorney appointed by a Republican president and attorney general who had career prosecutors working this case for five years. Democrats really out all over the news shows over the weekend, pushing back against this. The top Democrat on the House Oversight Committee says he wants Congress to stay out of the Justice Department's business in the Hunter Biden case. We have a justice system. Let's just let them do their job. That's Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin. Republicans demanded this. Uh, Chuck Grassley actually wanted Weiss to be the special counsel. Now they're crying foul because they say that Weiss is the wrong guy. And all that goes on with the Biden family and they deal with a fallout. Uh, there's more bad news for Donald Trump. The Fulton County DA expected to present the Trump case to a grand jury, a grand jury as early as today. Former Georgia Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan has confirmed to the AJC he has been called to testify to the Fulton County grand jury on Tuesday. This means Fonnie Willis will have to begin presenting her case regarding allegations of Donald Trump conspiring to overthrow the 2020 election results in Georgia as early as Monday. Willis has said for a few months now that an announcement on an indictment would be coming this month. The Fulton County Sheriff's Office has up security at the courthouse and surrounding streets have been closed if an indictment is sought. This will be the fourth indictment the former president has faced in recent months. I'm Scott Kimmler. The chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee criticizing President Biden's deal with Iran to free those five American prisoners. Six billion dollars that now is going to go into Iran and prop up their proxy war terror operations and their nuclear bomb aspirations. Texas Republican Congressman Michael McCall says he's also disagrees with former President Obama in 2016 when the U.S. then paid Tehran $400 million in, in the Iran nuclear deal. Under Obama, it was $400 million of cash and airplanes that went into Iran. So McCall says he doesn't want to keep the five American prison, uh, imprisoned in Iran, but he says this was not the right deal to get them out. I want to get these Americans home more than anybody, and one of them is a critical asset. I, I agree with that. Democrats, of course, pushing back against that idea. The chair of the House Armed Service Committee says the U.S. deal with Iran to free those five Americans is not a bounty. We're not paying the money. It's Iran's money that was sitting in South Korea. White House Democratic Congressman Adam Smith says it's a misunderstanding that some people believe the U.S. is paying Iran $6 billion for Americans' relief. Smith says the money always belonged to Iran, but it had been frozen in banks. Is money from oil that Iran sold to Korea, and Korea did not pay for that because the sanctions that were imposed mm -hmm. under the Trump administration. WABC News Time 512. The FAA says there was, was a near collision between a Southwest Airlines Boeing 737 and a Cessna Citation business jet over the weekend. It happened Friday at the busy San Diego International Airport. Reports show air traffic control told the pilot of the Cessna not to land because the Southwest jet was still on the runway awaiting clearance for takeoff. A person who was briefed on the incident said initial reviews showed the Cessna passed over the top of the Southwest airplane and 
by 100 feet. The National Transportation Safety Board is also on the scene. No one was injured. Nationwide, the NTSB is investigating six runway incursion events since January. I'm Brad Siegel. And federal investigators say pilot error was what sent a United Airlines flight to within 748 feet of the Pacific Ocean late last year. The NTSB's final report released problems in the cause of this uh, United Flight 1722, which uh, did a dive on what it called the flight crew's failure to manage the airplane's vertical flight path after an apparent miscommunication between the two pilots over the position of the plane's wing flap. So this plane was admitted into its flight from Maui to San Francisco back on December 18th when it dove from an altitude of more than 2,000 feet to less than 800 before the pilots pulled up. People on that flight, you can might imagine, completely freaked out. They were okay. The flight, 270 passengers continued on to San Francisco without incident. And remember that uh, Dallas woman, the one who had that crazy moment on the plane just a few weeks weeks back, a viral video being kicked off an American Airlines flight. She's apologizing. Tiffany Gomas, who's known by many as the crazy plane lady, uh, you've probably seen her videos on TikTok and everywhere else, issuing an apology yesterday. First and foremost, I want to take full accountability for my actions. They were completely unacceptable. So she didn't say what was going on with her. Was it booze, drugs? She says, um, distressed or not, she said she should be able to control her emotions. She said she found many of the memes, which there's a lot of them, uh, pretty amusing. Uh, She said some of them were mean and unkind. Distressed or not, I should have been, I should have been in control of my emotions and that was not the case. We all have our bad moments. Yeah, um, we do. Some far worse than others. <laughs> and mine happened to be caught on camera for the whole world to see multiple times. Yeah, shared billions of times. She is, says she's just going to move on with her life now. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Happy Monday. Good morning, Justin Ellen. Happy Monday. Good morning to you, Gnome Olin. Start here with a quick check-in on the NFL. With the league opening its first full slate of preseason games over the weekend on Friday in Detroit. The Giants fell to the Lions 21-16. to Starters did not play in this contest, so we'll see what head coach Brian Dable has in store come next week at MetLife against the Carolina Panthers. Speaking of those Carolina Panthers, they got spanked. 27 to nothing by your visiting New York Jets on Saturday. This year's number one overall pick in the draft and quarterback Bryce Young made his debut for Carolina with things clearly not going to plan for the young prospect against the Jets second team defense. Young went four of six through the air for 21 yards over three series of action. Aaron Rodgers and the New York starters once again took the day off with Zach Wilson and Tim Boyle sharing the day's reps under center. Gang Green gets set now to welcome in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next Saturday night. Over to the Diamond, where the Mets salvaged a finale at home last night, beating the NL East first place Atlanta Braves by a score of 7-6 after getting outscored 34-3 in the first three games of the series. Kodai Senga played stopper on the hill for New York, allowing just three earned runs on four hits over six solid innings of work. The Mets will see if they can carry the win into a three-game set with the visiting Pittsburgh Pirates, set to begin tonight at 7-10 p.m. Carlos Carrasco will get the ball for New York against a starter yet to be named 
by Pittsburgh. For the Yankees, things weren't much better over the weekend, losing 2-3 to the Marlins in Miami, complete with a squandered six-run lead in last night's finale to ultimately lose 8-7. to Garrett Cole has got to be fuming watching the Yankees throw away another great performance on the mound for the Yankee ace with just seven weeks left in the season. New York is quickly running out of time to make a push for the postseason following yesterday's loss. They now sit five games back at the AL's last wildcard berth and are on track to miss the playoffs for the first time since 2016. Very bleak times on the diamond here in New York. Except for the uh, Savannah Bananas. You're right. How was that, by uh, the way? They won. They beat, unfortunately, they beat the Fairy Hawks, or fortunately, I'm not sure which. It seemed like everybody there was rooting for the, the Bananas <laughs> yeah, to okay. beat the Fairy Hawks. They Got won it. three to two. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's like three points to two points or three runs to you know, two. Like, how does that even work? I, I, I couldn't really tell you, but it was a lot of fun. Okay. Well, yeah. wonderful. Glad you had fun, Gnome, later. Thank you. But really, I mean, isn't that fun? That's more pressing than the Yankees or Mets. At this point, it really is. Yeah. yeah. Really? really yeah. <laughs> That's your sports gnome on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 519. Let's go out to the campaign trail. Donald Trump being a mega star at the Iowa State Fair as he walked around the fair on Saturday. Hundreds, maybe thousands following him. Uh, he did not sit for that fireside chat that so many of the other candidates do with Iowa's governor. Uh, he did make stops at the Iowa pork producers tent, um, a baby farm animal exhibit, um, the Grand Course pub. Uh, supporters, though, who did see him walk around, they wanted to you know, get their pictures in, see what he looks like up close. But many of them say they're not sure just yet whether they're going to vote for him come the Iowa caucuses. The legal stuff, I mean, you can indict a ham sandwich or so they say. Um, I don't really care about that because I do think it's politically motivated. I voted for him twice. It was a mistake, especially the second time. Yeah, he, he lies all the time. Things come out of his mouth that shouldn't come out of a person's mouth in public and stuff. It's, he's ridiculous. After me. Um, he's too negative. He has too much baggage. Yeah, so that's the kind of comments that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis likes to hear. He spoke at the Iowa Big State Fair over the weekend to a pretty big crowd. On day one, we take all Biden regulations and executive orders and throw them in the trash can. And some people who crowded in to watch the Florida governor speak say they like what they saw. Big state like his and the work he's done and the risks that he's been willing to take as a governor. Yeah, maybe he's not as, you know, sharp on the fly as Nikki was or even the vape. I just think he has a track record of the kind of leader I want in the White House. So the lesser known candidates, they work the crowds too, not as recognizable as some of the bigger names, of course, like uh, North Dakota Governor uh, Doug Burgum was there. Uh, talk show host Larry Elder as well. We're out talking to real Americans who've got real problems with inflation, the price of gas. They're concerned about the southern border. I've given up my syndicated column. I've given up my radio show. I've given up my TV show. Uh, I already had a book deal. I am losing money by doing this. I'm doing this because I care about my country. In general, these people who went to the state fair, which is a big deal, of course, in Iowa, say they take this thing pretty seriously, wanted to see all the candidates and try to make up their mind who they might vote for in about, well, five months from now. Kind of our job in Iowa is to take take this seriously, listen to all the candidates, and um, five months is an eternity in, um, in politics, so... 
We'll see where we go from here. Well, that is true. Five months is an eternity. The other candidates taken to some of them taken to the fair, some of them taken to the news shows over the weekend. One of them, former Vice President Mike Pence, says his former boss got bad advice from what he called crackpot lawyers about the vice president's role in counting electoral votes. This uh, group of lawyers that were allowed to counsel the president to tell him what his itching ears longed to hear right. is uh, that I had some right uh, to, to reject votes. There was no basis in that in history. He also blamed Chief of Staff Mark Meadows for allowing those lawyers into the Oval Office. It was a group of crackpot lawyers that the Chief of Staff allowed to be in the Oval Office that frankly should have never been allowed. GOP presidential hopeful Chris Christie believes former President Trump will sign that loyalty pledge to take part in the debate that's taking place August 23rd in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, of course, is where the Republican convention will take place next summer. Chris Christie thinks uh, Donald Trump wants to be on that stage. He might not also, but I would not be the least bit surprised if he did. This is about Donald Trump keeping the attention on Donald Trump. He also says the former governor called Trump's initial refusal to sign that pledge to support the party nominee a misdirection, and he calls it nonsensical theater. Well, I think he's going to say it right here. This is all kind of nonsensical theater. Okay. <laughs> Christie admits himself that um, he's not a fan of this pledge that the Republicans make all the candidates sign that says they'll support no matter who the candidate is at the end of the primary season. Way back, even before I entered this race, that I thought the pledge was a bad idea yeah a georgia state official concerned about possible violence related to election interference charges that are coming uh, towards president trump's way sometime this week could be as early as Tuesday. somebody will be motivated by some of this kind of language at some point and do something stupid Secretary of State Operating Officer Gabriel Sterling there says he doesn't think violence will stem from an organized group effort. Uh, Trump took out an ad that calls Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis and her office the Fraud Squad. Willis is expected to present her case against the former president to a grand jury starting maybe as early as today with an indictment possibly coming later this week. It's not going to be an organized thing. It's not going to be a bunch of conspirators together. It's going to be one probably mentally unstable individual who's going to be radicalized through this process. He's not the only one worried about potential violence. A political science professor says mainstream support in the U.S. for political violence seems to be on the rise. It's not just about Oath Keepers, Proud Boys. It is now breaching into the mainstream, and we're seeing the consequences of that. University of Chicago professor Robert Pape says he conducted a survey in which nearly 50 million Americans believe the use of force is justified regarding a second Trump presidency. Now, listen closely what this found. The survey showed 30 million supported using force to prevent the former president from returning to the White House, while 18 million supported using force to bring Trump back as president. What we can actually measure and see whether it's growing, shrinking, are the sentiments for political violence in the country. On both sides, awfully scary. Pap says sentiments on both the right and the left are being radicalized to millions and millions of Americans. All right, WABC News Time 525. This is an incredible story. Suicide rates have now soared the highest number on record in 2022. As the CDC says, nearly 50,000 Americans took their own lives in 2022. The largest increase in suicides was seen among 
older adults. That's the first time. Suicide is now the 11th leading cause of death in the U.S. The price at the pump showing no signs of slowing down. We thought the prices would come down. They're not. We've seen gas prices on the rise as we've seen oil prices increase. Josh Zuber there with AAA says OPEC nations like Saudi Arabia cutting production and with less oil on the market that's pushing gas prices higher. Fuel costs have gone almost up a dollar from the end of last year. Oil analysts attributing that increase in oil prices uh, mostly due to uh, pledged production cuts. So the national average as of Sunday afternoon was 384 a gallon. The markets, they're opening this morning after ending the week mixed on Friday. That came after July's consumer price index was softer than expected. The report tracks the price that wholesalers are paying for raw goods. At Friday's closing bell, the Dow gained 105 points. S&P 500 lost four points. The Nasdaq fell 76 points. As I sat Saturday night with a beer in one hand, a fork in another, out with friends for a really good meal, all of a sudden, uh, I started getting texts from friends who were at the Lionel Richie Earth, Wind and Fire concert at Madison Square Garden. It was a concert that was supposed to start at 730 and they were texting me around 815. So 45 minutes after this concert was set to go on saying, yo, can you find out what's going on? We're waiting for this concert. There's been no announcement, no Earth, Wind and Fire, no Lionel Richie. They were waiting all night long. <laughs> a terrible joke. Um, and so I reached out to Madison Square Garden, instantly got a response that Lionel Richie had missed his plane to New York. That's kind of a bizarre story. We're going to get into that as the morning wears on. Some real worries about coyote attacks in the Garden State. We'll get the latest on that. And doctors are warning about some real bad TikTok advice. We'll get to those stories and more after this. <laughs> The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 531. Good morning. It is Monday, August 14th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today, high 87. The rain rolls in tonight. Could see some thunderstorms overnight as well, low 74. And then Tuesday, scattered thunderstorms, high 86. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 70 and clear in Islip out on Long Island. 68 and clear down in Trenton in New Jersey. And it is 71 and clear here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour in Midtown over the weekend. Big sold-out show. Madison Square Garden. Lionel Richie, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, fans packing the garden. You know, that's a pretty big show. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Lionel Richie. 20,000 in attendance. Many of, you might imagine, spent hundreds of dollars on tickets. Those front row seats, maybe a little bit more. And uh, they waited for 45 minutes. The show is supposed to start at 7.30 at 8.15, fans started to see that Lionel Richie had sent out a tweet that said he had missed his flight or the flight could not take off to go from Boston, where he had been the night before, to New York uh, to play last night. 
But why did they wait until 8.15, and why would he wait so late to catch a flight? We think there's more to this story. We reached out to Madison Square Garden over the weekend because in 20,000 fans, all those people have stories to tell of maybe babysitters they paid for or just putting out a lot of money. People came in from outside of New York, parked in those expensive garages for a night on the town, only to be told that there would be no show. So here's the bizarre part of the story. Well, that's bizarre in itself. Like, how do you not make it to New York? That's your job as an artist is to not disappoint your fans, of course. And it could just be as easy as what he says, that there was some sort of weather delay. But my guess is there's more to this story. But here's the bizarre part is they say they will honor all the tickets from Saturday night tonight. There's a show tonight and they're going to honor those tickets. How can they do that? Is it because we looked to see there wasn't many tickets available online to see tonight's show. So I don't know what's going on here, but we are sniffing around. And as, of course, more information comes into us, we'll pass it on to you. Out on uh, Staten Island over the weekend, uh, lots of people gathering for a protest over the fact that uh, Mayor Adams wants to send uh, migrant families to Midland Beach to what was once a senior citizen home. They've moved those people out of the nursing home, and now they want to move migrants in. There was a big protest. Their own Curtis Lewa was there. Lots of Staten Island lawmakers like Nicole Maliotakis was there as well. Take care of our veterans. Take care of our American homeless, our mentally ill. They expect it to open in the fall. We don't know exactly when that means at this stage, um, but it could house hundreds of migrants here. It's supposed to be families with children, um, and it's just, it's, it's not an influx of individuals that this neighborhood could sustain. Vito Fasella was there. Of course, he's the Staten Island Borough President. Um, David Carr, I'm going to leave people's names out here if I start trying to list them up. But Staten Island Council Member David Carr was there. Uh, he said that they wrote letters to city leaders asking them to cancel this migrant center on Staten Island. Some Staten Islanders who showed up say they have empathy for these migrants, but uh, they have to do a better job of where they place them. We want people from everywhere in the world, okay? I'm an immigrant's uh, descendant anyway, and the bottom line is this is the country that takes immigrants in. We want to keep doing it, but let's do it in some kind of more organized fashion. It raises a lot of legitimate questions on the part of the community. Why are we losing a place that was supposed to be beds and a place to live for our seniors and our veterans, and now it's going to be serving uh, the migrant community? No doubt you've been following the story as well. As We have uh, close to 100,000 migrants have come from the U.S.-Mexico border over the last year. City Hall says we've run out of space to put them. In the case of the senior center out in Midland Beach, uh, it was some sort of bidding war is what we've been told and that the city bid more money for this building than some outside uh, business leaders. And that's why the migrants will likely, whether the Staten Islanders like it or not, will be bused there probably in the coming weeks. Meanwhile, there are people on the other side who are trying to help these migrants out. Some community organizations like our Park Care Community Health Network, they had uh, over the weekend, they took out um, – uh, a health club. They asked the health club if they could use their area to bring some migrants in to show them how to get through the paperwork to become uh, to get jobs or to find homes and that kind of thing. And so they did have some lawyers on site and had some migrants come through who they helped. The situation is tough and everybody, they take their time as you can see over here, we're taking their time and explaining them the situation. What's their next step? When do they have to apply? What What's the minimum that they could expect? What they're going to get? Once people know that 
they're a lot less stressed. So there were several kiosks there with professionals, lawyers, that's that kind of thing, trying to help these migrants navigate the system. That is this uh, troubling story came out over the weekend. Investigation underway after a three-year-old girl from Venezuela died after being sent from Texas on a bus full of migrants. Texas officials say after the child started showing health concerns Thursday evening, the bus pulled over and security personnel called 911. Child later died at a local Illinois hospital. Illinois authorities are investigating her death. Texas officials say none of the passengers showed signs of illness when they boarded the bus near the Mexican border in Brownsville. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has bused thousands of migrants to Illinois. I'm Michael Kastner. All right, let's bring it back to New York and up to Washington Heights. A driver arrested yesterday following a high-speed crash involving a stolen car. SUV carrying a family of four flipped on its roof at the intersection 180th Street and Fort Washington Avenue. This was about 7 o'clock last night. Police say um, they were pursuing a stolen black Mercedes that rammed into this SUV. Thankfully, the injury is not terrible here. It was a little crazy, like a little wild. But you don't expect, like, you know, I mean, you just expect anything in New York now. Those. They put a speed bump there, but it doesn't really do much. Cars still fly on the red light, yellow light, you know, they really don't care. There were two children in that car, uh, ages one and five. We do not know their condition this morning. Police did arrest the driver of that stolen car at the scene. WABC News Time 538. Let's go out to New Jersey. That story we were following all last week. A building, an apartment building, two of them in Plainfield, New Jersey, condemned by the town of Plainfield. If things were terrible, gaping holes, uh, sewer pipes overflowing, uh, rats. And so the building was officially condemned, but uh, hundreds of people had to move out. So we've been watching this over the last couple days. Some of these families got vouchers to live in hotels, but others have been placed at Plainfield High School where there are cots and blankets and they're trying to make these people as comfortable as possible. But it's been a struggle for these families uh, not being able to go back in and out of their own apartments, in some cases, places they've lived in for years. Where do we go? Like, we try to find a place. It's stressful. Right now, I have food, so I go maybe in parking. I go somewhere, I go eat with my family somewhere. So the landlord is the one who is supposed to be fixing all that's wrong. There was a contractor there over the weekend. Couldn't see that any work was being done yet, but maybe they're trying to survey what needs to be done first. But there's so much to be done. And these people had just paid their August rent. They want to know if they're going to get that money back. It's 298 people in all. So it's not a small group of people. In the meantime, uh, these cots are set up at the high school. And some people say they have no choice. That's where they're going to live. They don't have family nearby. I fix it. I paint it. I do everything. Uh, so this guy's case, he said he had actually fixed his own apartment on his own. So he wanted to stay on, but they wouldn't let him stay on. I fix it. I paint it. I do everything. So it's why I say it, it's, it's not easy. My whole life. I've been living there my whole life. Um, I was pretty much born there. Me and my brother, actually. My dad was, has been living there like about 23 years. Now, of course, the school year is going to start in just a couple of weeks, so they're going to have to now move these families to another place uh, at the Performing Arts Center nearby. Uh, others were in hotels, but those vouchers ended for them yesterday. The city of Plainfield actually has an emergency response plan that was activated when the uh, local state of emergency was declared. And we know that we also have a role to play in that as a school district. So, again, we stepped up as quickly as we could, and we wanted to make sure that 
we were able to fill any gaps that existed. Of course, the real question is, how was the landlord able to let this building get so bad that these people were forced out? And how come he's not giving them their rent back? We haven't gotten answers to either of those questions. 541. Elected officials over the weekends, family, friends coming together to bid farewell to late New Jersey Lieutenant Governor Sheila Oliver, who suddenly died two weeks ago. She had checked herself into the hospital one day, died the next. Uh, Governor Murphy among the speakers at her funeral, which was, boy, it was a long affair. It went on for hours. She loved New Jersey like a mother, and she shared that love with us every single day. Hundreds of people at this funeral was held at the Cathedral Basilica of the Sacred Heart in Oliver's hometown of Newark. Uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton giving the eulogy. Uh, Dion Warwick speaking, calling her a friend who loved to laugh. Uh, Oliver's actually survived by her 95-year-old mother who attended this packed funeral with Oliver's sister. My mother, who's 95, you know, that's all she's been sitting and saying. Oh, they love Sheila this much. Oliver was the first black woman to hold statewide elected office in New Jersey and to lead the state assembly. She died back on August 1st, but the family has not released what she passed away from. 542, let's go over to Livingston, New Jersey, where neighbors there with dogs being extra careful not to let them out alone. And when they're walking them to hold those leashes awfully tight, there's been so many coyote encounters just over the last couple of weeks. Coyotes uh, are aggressive and uh, they are known to uh, be willing to attack dogs even if they're semi-attached to humans. So middle of the day seems to be the right time of day to walk these dogs. The coyotes usually come out sunset or uh, at dusk. Two days ago, it was camped out. It was laying there. It was. I get dusk and sunset are the same thing. I meant to say dawn and sunset. There we Two go. Two days ago, it was camped out. It was laying there. It was standing up watching a buck. I, I'm nervous about the buck. I have two large dogs, and I'm afraid to let them in my yard because I don't know if it will climb the fence and try and, I don't know, play with them, eat them. I don't know. Yeah, so far, no word of any attacks, but animal control officers are worried that, about that happening. So they've been monitoring the area over the last couple of weeks, just warning people that, hey, don't go too close to the woods when you walk your dog. Maybe don't even walk them in the woods for the next couple of weeks, uh, just as a safety Precaution. The fact that it's interacting with people and walking right across front lawns, right in broad daylight, shows that it doesn't care, and that makes people nervous. We just don't want anybody to get hurt. Yeah. 544 down to the Jersey Shore dead whale discovered floating in Long Branch. Over a dozen dead mammals have been found on or along off the New Jersey coastline. That's just since December. These discoveries, of course, prompting a debate over whether uh, or not ships are conducting mapping for offshore wind farms could be interfering with whale sonar. That's one theory. The state says there's no connection between the sonar, the wind um, turbines that have gone up, and the these whales that are beaching themselves, but others, some environmentalists say there definitely is. This dead humpback whale washed ashore off near uh, Fire Island on Friday. Officials say the mammal was believed to be a male around five years old. A necropsy is being conducted, which can take several weeks or months to complete. Um, but uh, definitely awfully odd over the last couple of years. If we add that number together, whether it's the Jersey Shore, Fire Island, Long Island, we've seen tons of these whales uh, beached. And uh, given no real reason why, environmentalists don't really know why. Uh, the people who study these things, the scientists, they don't know why. 
but for some reason, they're ruling out these wind turbine farms, these wind farms that are off the coast of New Jersey, now being built off the coast of Long Island as well. All right, 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk, where we find Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam Malay. I'll start with a quick check-in on the NFL here with the league opening its first full slate of preseason games over the weekend on Friday in Detroit. The Giants fell to the Lions 21-16. to Starters did not play in this contest, so we'll see what head coach Brian Dibble has in the store come next week at MetLife against the Carolina Panthers. Speaking of those Carolina Panthers, they got spanked. 27 to nothing by your visiting New York Jets on Saturday. This year's number one overall pick in the draft in quarterback Bryce Young made his debut for Carolina. With things uh, clearly not going to plan for the young prospect against the Jets' second-team defense, Young went 4 of 6 through the air for 21 yards over three series of action. Aaron Rodgers and the New York Stars once again took the day off with Zach Wilson and Tim Boyle sharing the day's reps under center. Gang Green gets set now to welcome in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next Saturday night. Now to the Diamond where the Mets salvage a finale at home Last night, beating the uh, NL East first place Atlanta Braves by a score of seven to six after getting outscored thirty-four to three in the first three games of the series. Cody Senga played stopper on the hill for New York, allowing just three earned runs on four hits over six solid innings of work. The Mets will see if they can carry the win into a three-game set with the visiting Pittsburgh Pirates set to begin tonight at seven ten p.m. Carlos Carrasco will get the ball for New York against a starter yet to be named by Pittsburgh. For the Yankees, things weren't much better over the weekend, losing 2-3 to the Marlins in Miami, complete with a squandered six-run lead in last night's finale to ultimately lose 8-7. to Garrett Cole has got to be fuming watching the Yanks throw away another great performance on the mound for the Yankee ace with just seven weeks left in the season. New York is quickly running out of time to make a push for the postseason. Following yesterday's loss, they now sit five games back of the AL's last wildcard berth and are on track to miss the playoffs for the first time since 2016. Here were sports on 77. Is anybody at the Mets games anymore? Is there fans sitting in? Because I know they were there all weekend. Are, are yeah. people out at City Field? I no? don't. I, I, you know, I don't really notice. I don't really look around the uh, the stadium when I'm checking in on these games. But uh, I'll I'll grab a I'll grab a gander for you. How about that? Okay. Gnome, and, yeah, I'll, and I'll let you know tomorrow. They, like, they, they're, they're there. Are, are they, they there? Are? Yeah, they're there, but they got bags on their head. Yeah. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're yeah. screaming. They're, right. Their expression yeah. is one of, like, how is this happening? Right. A lot of times the way you can tell Gnome is if you look at the seats behind home plate, because those, are, those aren't cheap. Right. So if those seats are filled up, then you know people are going to the games. Hmm. There you go. Anyway, on sports, 77, WABC. No, I'm Justin Alex. WABC News Time 549. Let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. Nothing bigger than what's going on in Hawaii. The confirmed death toll in Hawaii's wildfires now past 93, making it the deadliest in U.S. in over 100 years. These wildfire deaths. We're still recovering the tragic loss of life and, and the bodies that, that were previously our beloved people. Governor Josh Green there says he fears the numbers will continue to rise. Search recovery efforts continue in the hard-hit resort town of Lahaina, where virtually everything has been destroyed. You've seen those pictures of the before and after. It's awfully bad. We have, in my office, asked for a comprehensive review with our attorney general because we decided to be on this fully transparently right from the start. Yeah, they want to figure out exactly what took place. Could there have been more of a warning? Those sirens that are supposed to go off that warn people of of hurricanes, other kind of weather disasters, did not for some reason. Nobody knows why. We'll know soon whether or not they did enough to get those sirens going. But there was massive destruction of telecommunications. Otherwise, 
we ourselves would have communicated with each other like we always do within seconds on our cell phones. Yeah, the problem was that cell service went down as well. Uh, FEMA and FEMA leaders were in Hawaii over the weekend surveying the damage. It's absolutely heartbreaking to just see an entire community that is no longer there. That's FEMA Director Dion Criswell. The row of cars of people that were trying to drive and escape and then couldn't get out fast enough. And these are the ones that ended up running or jumping into the water. So Criswell says that uh, one of the challenges in this massive search and recovery effort, because we still have hundreds that are unaccounted for, is trying to determine if a structure that's been burned is stable enough to send emergency and search crews into. Many of the areas that they're in searching, there's structures that are partially standing. And the morgues in Maui, they are quickly running out of space. State officials in Hawaii expect the number of dead to continue to increase as search teams continue to comb through the rubble. Morgues on the island have a limited capacity, while the number of those feared missing could be as high as 1,000. It's expected an estimated 4,500 will need emergency shelter. Hawaii's attorney general is now conducting an official review into the state's response to the devastating wildfires. The probe will focus on a lack of warning sirens ahead of the state's deadliest ever natural disaster. I'm Scott Carr. Hawaiian lawmakers, of course, uh, giving their two cents about what took place. A Hawaii congresswoman who represents Maui calling the siren failure there completely tragic. Everybody who's ever lived in Hawaii knows the warning sirens because that is our first line of defense. Jill Dakota says they're tested at the beginning of each month and if they don't get blared or they don't blare they're usually fixed right away. It goes off once a month at the beginning of the month at 12 noon and it blares and if it doesn't it gets fixed. The warning signals that were on cell phones we had no cell coverage or electricity in some of these areas. Hawaii senator says the recovery from the wildfires likely going to take years. The entire historic town of Lahaina burned to the ground. That's Senator Maisie Hirono surveying the damage with the governor yesterday. We are in a period of mourning and loss as we search for more people who are still unaccounted for. The attorney general has launched a review of what happened with those sirens and some of the other actions that were taken. And one emergency volunteer who's been on the ground all weekend was there right after the wildfires uh, were, for the most part, extinguished. Her name is Leah Larson. And what she's saying is that the reality is far more grim than what's been reported so far. People are lying dead in the streets out here. Uh, Hundreds of people are dead. I don't know what's really on the news, what they're saying. It's devastating. It's horrible. And they had no warning. It happened so fast. The winds were so strong. So crews will continue to conduct search and rescue missions with cadaver dogs. We could see them doing that yesterday at sunlight. They'll continue today combing through the ruins, searching for survivors. Uh, thousands, thousands who are homeless. Some of them are now being taken to Maui hotels where they'll live until they can put their lives back together. Uh, some of them who had the money and the means to do so have flown out uh, coming here in fact, story of somebody on Long Island's now living with family in Long Island, story of a family in New Jersey taking in a loved one who was pushed out by the fires in New Jersey. Uh, other big stories over the weekend. Hunter Biden's lawyer taking to the news show says um, a five-year investigation.
administration has shown no evidence that President Biden was involved in any of his son's business dealings. It had to be part of what the prosecutor has already looked at, as well as every other false allegation, whether it's corruption or Farah or money laundering. No doubt Republicans would push back against that. He's a Republican U.S. attorney appointed by a Republican president and attorney general who had career prosecutors working this case for five years. And meanwhile, the uh, Fulton County D.A. expected to present the Trump case to a grand jury, uh, jury as early as today. Former Georgia Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan has confirmed to the AJC he has been called to testify to the Fulton County Grand Jury on Tuesday. This means Fonnie Willis will have to begin presenting her case regarding allegations of Donald Trump conspiring to overthrow the 2020 election results in Georgia as early as Monday. Willis has said for a few months now that an announcement on an indictment would be coming this month. The Fulton County Sheriff's Office has up security at the courthouse and surrounding streets have been closed if an indictment is sought. This will be the fourth indictment the former president has faced in recent months. I'm Scott Kimmler. All right, let's bring it back home. Go up to Dutchess County. Those were some intense storms that moved through on Saturday night in Dutchess County. The power knocked out, trees tipped over. And I screamed, and then she came in and said, what's going on? What's going on? Nana, nana, nana. I said, that tree just fell. That's a woman in Poughkeepsie. Central Hudson Gas and Electric at one point had 4,000 people without power. It was down to 1,000 as of last night. I'd just be glad when they get hooked back up because I, bought, I just went grocery shop. And, and I see it's already melting because my floor, I got to keep on mopping up the kitchen floor because the refrigerator is melting. And they'll continue to play cleanup uh, today, later today, Poughkeepsie, some of those surrounding towns that uh, that storm blew through and knocked over trees and knocked down power lines. Out to Long Island at 555, Las Vegas Sands is working to change a zoning code to move forward with building a casino resort at the former site of the Nassau Coliseum. The company filed land use plans with the town of Hempstead to create a new hospitality district in Uniondale. This is considered a major step for the $4 billion project. Developers seek to combine the 72-acre Nassau hub with the property where the Long Island Marriott Hotel is located. The application also prompts the state to conduct an environmental review, which would need final approval from the town. Sands is one of at least 10 possible casino developments expected to bid on three casino opportunities for New York's downstate region. I'm Liz Radabali for WABC News. And finally, while we're on Long Island, the Massapequa Long Island International 12 and Under Girls softball team won the World Series yesterday. Family and friends uh, packed Brady Park out on Long Island to watch the game that was taking place in North Carolina that a huge TV screen set up so fans could watch. We're so proud of them. Like our emotions, like our hearts were pounding probably just as much as theirs. Jocelyn, Web Gem, best center fielder out there. Those 12-year-olds beat North Carolina 5-2. to two. Some of the team members say they can't believe they just won the World Series. It's just an incredible feeling because like I've always dreamt of this and to have it happen is just insane. Rich Eaton is the team's coach. We train like we're professional team we worked out five days a week you know two hours a day we have a number one little league team in the world in the world that's just unheard of to me and after so many awful headlines at a massapequa park of course that's where rex yorman uh, lived here's a happy one they're going to throw a parade sometime this week for the softball team when they come home from north carolina